Well, good morning. So good to see you at nine o'clock this morning. The, the few, the faithful, the exhausted. Glad you made it. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We are in uh, week number four of our series, The Gospel of God, uh, where we are studying Paul's letter to the Roman Christians. And we are going to be looking at verses 16 and 17 today. And I have told you in this series already that Romans is important because it answers the deepest questions that we have as humans, questions like who are we and who do we belong to and why are we, we here. And Romans is clearly the most important letter in the New Testament. Many would say it is the most important book in all of God's inspired word. And if that is true, and I think it is, there are no two verses that are more important than the verses that we are going to look at today. No import, more important than all of the verses in all of God's word. Because we are talking today about the heart of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17 gives us the, the beating center of the Apostle Paul's message. So I want you to hear uh, what he says today as we begin to unpack some very important, very deep, very profound truths. Let's hear God's word together. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the word of the Lord, all God's people say. Amen. Amen. In 2017, which uh, was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, uh, Dana and I were just blessed to be able to travel uh, across uh, the ocean, Atlantic Ocean, go to Germany, and to, to travel and see many of the, the towns and the castles and the monasteries and the sites uh, that were so important uh, to what is one of a handful of the most significant historical developments in the last 2,000 years. And maybe you learned about the Protestant Reformation in a history class, but maybe you didn't. The Reformation was something that changed the history of the church forever. It also, and many people don't realize this, it also resulted in massive cultural consequences for Western civilization. The Reformation was at the heart of just launching this tidal wave of intellectual and political change that is still impacting world history today, that, that has very much shaped the nation in which we live. And whether you realize it or not, it has impacted your life. At the heart of this Reformation was a Catholic monk named Martin Luther, Martin Luther desperately wanted to get right with God, but he just couldn't see how. And when he finally had what he was to call a, a breakthrough, a passage that we're looking at today, Romans 1, 16 and 17, was at the very heart of how God changed his life. These verses would become the very heart of the Reformation now, if you know his story, you know that Martin Luther was in the monastery because he desperately wanted to be in this right relationship with God, that he was plagued with this awareness of his own sin, and he didn't know how to deal with it. He decided that going into the monastery, becoming a monk, was the only way that he could deal with his guilt. 
You read his biography and you'll see that his devotion was off the charts. He outworked, outprayed, outconfessed, outsuffered all of the other monks in this attempt to earn God's love and acceptance, but he never felt good enough. He never felt that God accepted him. He would later write, I was very pious in the monastery, and I was sad because I thought that God would not be gracious to me. In 1511, the Leaders of his order, who, by the way, were extremely frustrated with him. One of them, his main confessor, kind of like his supervisor, Monk, told him one time that he should go out and commit some real sins and stop bothering him confessing all these imaginary sins that he was making up. They got frustrated with him. They didn't know what to do with him, so they sent him away from the monastery where he was in a town called Erfurt, and they went to another monastery in Wittenberg, Germany, and here's a picture of that monastery that I took when we were on our trip. They thought if he could just throw himself into study and teaching that he wouldn't rage against himself. So very much. I find myself reading his story thinking about some people that I've met who are so angry, so frustrated, so hurt with themselves, they don't know what to do. Well, Martin Luther studied. He didn't have important things to do like surf the web and you know, check social media, so he studied. He studied uh, Galatians and he studied Hebrews and he studied Romans and he began to teach these books. And in 1515, during his study of Romans, he had what is called his tower experience. And here's a, a picture of that, that tower. In this tower, he had this life transforming discovery. And it was in this passage that we're studying today, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Luther said, I kept banging my head against this text. In other words, he kept looking at it, studying it, thinking about it, meditating on it, trying to understand it. And the phrase that he was having problems with, he was stumbling over was this phrase, the righteousness of God, that it was revealed in the gospel. See, until this point, Luther had thought the righteousness of God meant God's uncompromising justice that demanded judgment, judgment of sinners. And he knew he was a sinner. And so he didn't see how the righteousness of God could be good news for him, how the righteousness of God could be gospel if it was this uncompromising justice that demanded judgment. Luther would later write these words. He said, I had conceived a burning desire to understand what Paul meant in his letter to the Romans, but thus far there had stood in my way that one phrase in chapter one, the righteousness of God, I did not love. No, I hated this righteous God who punishes sinners. Ever felt that way? Ever wondered about this question? 
this passage that we're reading today just stopped Luther in his tracks. And as I've said, it is one of the most important sentences in all of the Bible, uh, what one commentator calls the, the nerve center of Romans, because everything in Romans just kind of radiates out from these two verses. And it really is still a question for us today. What do these words, the righteousness of God, as revealed in the gospel, mean? And why do they matter for us today? Now, Luther eventually discovers the meaning of this verse, and it changed everything, not just for his life, but also for history, also for our lives today here at Southwind's Church. Well, what did he learn? Well, back up a little bit. Let's remind ourselves of some context in verse 16. And we, we talked about this angle last week. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right before that in verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach this gospel to you. So why is Paul so eager? And he was eager because he was not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, he would say, I love this gospel. I delight in this gospel. I find my, my joy in this gospel. I want to preach this gospel to everyone everywhere. I am not ashamed. But why? Because of these words in verse 16 as we studied last week, for or because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. In other words, Paul was saying when the gospel is proclaimed and when people believe it, no matter who they are, Jew or Gentile, God powerfully transforms and saves them. That means those people, as we discussed last week, are saved from the penalty and the power of sin. And Paul says, I love preaching the gospel. I love seeing lives transformed, seeing people rescued from sin. I love seeing people experience the weight of sin being lifted off them as their sins are forgiven, seeing them brought into this relationship with God that changes everything in my, their lives. He says, I love that so much. I am not ashamed to preach it. And he is saying, when someone believes the gospel, it is not just that they adopt a new philosophy of life. He says they experience the very power of God to transform their lives. But the question still is there. How does that happen? How do lives get transformed? And that's what he's gonna talk about in verse 17, what we're gonna focus on today. He, he, in this verse, is building his argument. And you may notice as you read through Romans that Paul uses a lot of words like because and so that and therefore. And, and he does that because he is making an argument. All through this book, he's building an argument that, that links to what is before and, and links to what is after. It, someone uh, said it's like a string of pearls and Paul just keeps adding pearls because he's taking us on a journey. He He's leading us somewhere. And so he says in verse 17, the reason it's the power of God unto salvation for, you see that word again, because, he says, I'm going to explain this to you. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that's the answer. That is why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, because it is in it the righteousness of God is Revealed, But now you have another question, and that question is, what does that mean? What does the righteousness of God mean? And this is what Martin Luther was stumbling over. This is what he was banging his head against. And, and here's the reality. If we don't learn what it means, if we don't know what it means, then we're going we're gonna to stay in despair like Luther did. But if we know, 
It will increase our joy and confidence and boldness in the gospel. It will give us such a love for God and his gospel that we will not be ashamed, that we will not flinch or hesitate to align ourselves with Jesus and his gospel if we understand what Paul is saying here. But keep in mind, the opposite of that is also true. If we aren't filled with a deep joy in this gospel and a deep love for God and the boldness to share the gospel with everyone everywhere, if that is not the case in our lives, then there is a good chance we have not caught the depths and wonders of the gospel. See, if we're timid about it, if we don't walk through open doors to talk about it, if we won't share the gospel with people because we love that gospel and we love the God of the gospel, that has to mean we don't rejoice really truly in the gospel because we talk, don't we, about whatever it is we love. It's just an inescapable law of human nature, whether it's a sport team or whether it's your kids or or your grandkids. Would you like to see a picture of my grandkids? Uh, See, we're gonna talk about the things that we, we love. We can't help it. And so if we don't talk about the gospel It has to say something about our love for God and his gospel. Maybe we haven't grasped the depths, the wonders of it, or maybe, maybe we've gotten too familiar with it and and maybe we need to be reminded of it in a fresh and a powerful way. So what does the righteousness of God mean? And I'm gonna give you two truths. The first one's gonna be really short. The second one, we're gonna spend most of our time there. But two things you need to see to understand what Paul is saying. And the first one is this. uh, God's righteousness is something God is. Something God is. In other words, to say it like this, God is righteous. Everything he does is right and just and good. Uh, Righteousness is an attribute of God's character. Uh, The Greek word translated righteousness in a a physical sense has, has the uh, idea of being straight or in a moral sense, the idea of being right. He, God always and only does what is right. And that means this, God's righteousness tells us he is incapable of unrighteousness. He's incapable of wrong or injustice. It means that God has a settled hostility in his heart towards that which is unrighteous and unjust. And this is what terrified Martin Luther. This is what made him hate God. He he dreaded this righteous, demanding, perfect God who punishes those who fall short. And that was all that Martin Luther could see about God. But as he continued to read this text and meditate on it, beat his head against this text, God opened his eyes and God showed him something else. He saw that God's righteousness is not just something God is, but secondly, it's something God gives. God's righteousness is something God gives. Righteousness is a gift, a gift God credits to those who put their faith and trust in him. And it, the reality is, so many people, it took so long to see this, but it's always been there in the scripture. Paul's going to talk about this a lot as we keep making our way through Romans. Uh, we see this in the Old Testament. We, we're going to get to Romans uh, 4 and hear about Abraham who believed God and how that was credited to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15, how Abraham was declared righteous before God, given the gift of righteousness simply based on his faith in, in God. 
We, we see this idea beautifully portrayed in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, where it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So the author here is rejoicing greatly. Why? Because God has covered him with a robe of righteousness. And it is this amazing picture of God's grace clothing God's people in a beauty that is not their own, the beauty of his righteousness. See, back in verse 17, Paul writes about the righteousness of God, this righteousness God gives us through faith. And notice he says in this phrase, from faith for faith, that, that, that means beginning and ending with faith. It's by faith and nothing but faith. It's all about faith. Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, when he says, as it is written, and anytime you see that phrase, In the New Testament, it means you're about to see a quote from the Old Testament. He says, the righteous will live by faith. And this can also be translated, the righteous by faith will live. And so he's saying the righteous are going to find faith or find life by faith in God. Or you could say it, those who are righteous because of their faith, they will truly live. So it's about eternal life and it's about what we might call abundant life, true life. Either way, faith is at the center. You can think of it this way. Faith is the the spiritual hand that reaches out and takes this gift of righteousness and makes it ours. And that's what Paul's focusing on in verse 17. So righteousness is something God is. It's rooted in his character. It's who he is. But righteousness is also something God gives. And he gives it to those who put their faith and their trust in him. Now, as we keep studying Romans, you need to understand that Paul is gonna like be turning this diamond around and around and around all through this book so that you can understand what he is telling us as we go. And I just wanna show you a little, again, coming preview of, a preview of coming attractions. Let's look to Romans 3, where we're gonna be in a few weeks and see how this plays out. Verse 20, Paul says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Martin Luther understood. The law is not given to save you. The law is given to show you you're a sinner and you need to be saved. But then Paul continues verses 21 through 24. He says, but, but now the righteousness of God, there's that phrase again, has been manifested apart from his, from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, the old Testament was talking about this Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So righteousness is a gift God gives to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Look at verse 28, Paul says, for we hold that one is justified, how? By faith, apart from works of the law. So, so you receive this gift of righteousness. It's, it's credited to your account. You're, you're clothed in it, this new standing before God. And this is solely on the basis of your faith in Jesus. Nothing you have done. 
And, and so this means righteousness is something that God gives Something God gives. It's something he is, but it's also something he gives to those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus. That's Romans 3. Look next at Romans 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul again writes, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. For those, Paul says, who put their faith in Jesus and give up on their own works, God gives the gift of righteousness, even though they're ungodly. Now, think for a moment. This does not mean that we automatically become perfectly righteous Paul is saying uh, this has nothing to do with how you're acting right now in the moment. It is what God is declaring, what God is stating, that God declares you righteous even though you're ungodly because of your faith in Jesus. You turn over the page, Romans 5, it says the same thing in a different way. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of, of grace and the, say it with me, free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So God's righteousness is God's righteous way of putting sinners right with himself. Or maybe we can put it like this. The righteousness of God is God's righteous way to declare unrighteous people righteous by their faith in Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 17. This is what Martin Luther finally discovered. This is what will change your life if you get it and you believe it. See, righteous God looks on unrighteous people and he says to those people, I declare you righteous solely on the basis of your faith in Jesus. And he does this, Paul's gonna explain in a way that upholds his righteousness. We'll talk about that in a few moments. This is the righteousness of God. So the gospel is the power of God to save us because in the gospel, we see God's revelation. It's revealed, you see that word? Revelation of his righteous way of putting sinners into a right relationship with himself. Now, that is what Paul is saying. That is what we need to get. And it is so incredibly important. I wanna say, add to what I've been saying. I've already said it in a different way, but I'm gonna add to it this. Justification, uh, which is another way of explaining about a term for being made righteous. Justification by faith is the heart of the gospel. That's what Paul is telling us. It's the heart of the gospel. Maybe we need to be reminded today, maybe someone here has never heard it before today, but the gospel is not try harder, be better. If I say to you, here's God's message to you, try harder, be better, do better. That's not good news, right? Not good news. That's what Martin Luther thought God's righteousness meant and he tried so hard to be better. But it didn't work. It just didn't work. See, the gospel also, and this is gonna surprise some of you, the gospel is not asking Jesus into your heart. Now, 
We receive Jesus into our lives when we become Christ followers, but the, the heart of the gospel is not asking Jesus into your heart. The heart of the gospel is not even the forgiveness of sins. It, it's not enough that God just forgives you of your sins and leaves you there and says to you, don't mess up again. That's not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the removal of sin and the bestowal of a righteous status with God based on faith, not your works. That's the righteousness of God. That's justification by faith. Or maybe you could think about it like this. I don't have this on the screen, but you can write this down. The heart of the gospel is that God forgives and gives. Forgives and gives. He declares you righteous with his very own righteousness so that in his presence, if you're in Christ today, you stand forever, completely, perfectly, securely accepted by God as you are in your best and as you are when you're your worst. That's the gospel and that's good news. Think about it. When you are at your best, like you're just crushing it, you know, reading your Bible every day, you're praying, coming to church every week, not like those people that are lazy and stayed home today on Daylight Savings Time Sunday. You're here. You're giving your tithes and your offerings. You're sharing the gospel. When you're doing all that, you need to hear this. You are no more acceptable to God than when you looked at porn the night before. That's the gospel. If you are in Christ, see, our standing before God is not based on our performance. It is based on Jesus' righteousness credited to us. If we have Jesus, then we stand in God's presence, perfectly accepted, perfectly embraced, perfectly fully held by God, and all of that forever never goes away. See, that's what justification means, that, that God imputes and declares and assigns and attributes. He, he credits his perfect righteousness to you, his righteousness to your account so that you stand before him as righteous, without blame, vindicated of all wrongdoing, declared not just innocent, but righteous. And again, it's not made righteous, there's a difference. You're not suddenly, miraculously, all of a sudden made righteous. That's sanctification. And that's a process. And we're all in process, right? Just look to the person next to you right now and say, you are in process. See, you are declared righteous in God's sight. In this moment, that moment, you're given the very standing of Christ, the very righteousness of Jesus, so that you can stand before God, acceptable to him. And that is, happens by faith and faith alone, apart from works. I want you to notice how, how Paul talks about this because Paul, in many ways, was a whole lot like Martin Luther. Now, listen to what he says over in Philippians chapter three. He, he's giving his religious resume where he talks about how he outworked everybody, how he outrighteous everybody. Paul said, I looked at all that I had done and I came to realize that everything I, I did, that was all filthy rags. In fact, he, he says it was like dung before God. And then he says, this is what I want. Not my record, not my righteousness, not my religious resume. I want Christ. 
I mean, you could look it up. Philippians 3, 8, and 9, Paul says, I gain Christ and I want to gain Christ and I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not my own righteousness. That is not enough. It never will be. In fact, Isaiah 64 says, our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Paul says, I want a righteousness that's not my own, that is apart from my works, a righteousness that comes to me from God through faith in Jesus where he takes off my rags and he clothes me in the robes of his righteousness. I don't know, maybe you saw this in the news a few months ago. It was in November last year. In Chinatown in New York, New York City, one day, $10 million worth of knockoffs were seized. It's called systemic design theft. And the authorities on this day raided all of these vendors in this particular area in New York City. They confiscated all these goods. You can look it all up. I mean, they had stuff all over the place. And and they talked to one of the sellers who talked about this and who said, you know, there are like A, B, and C grades of this stuff. Um, uh, Talking about the quality of the fakes. Of course, this seller said, my stuff is grade A. But a counterfeit specialist who works with the NYPD said that 99% of this, you can look at it and just tell. You, you pick up this watch and it's a Rolex. <laughs> you know, you just can tell. And this, uh, this Louis Vitamin purse, I mean, it's not, it, it's probably not real. It won't even go with those fancy shoes with the swoosh, you know, the Nukies. I mean, it's just really, really obvious Here's the thing, our righteousness is counterfeit righteousness. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's grade A, B, or C, counterfeit righteousness. Our righteousness is always a knockoff and it can never pass God's inspection because God is the ultimate counterfeit recognition specialist. He sees all of our attempts to earn our way into relationship with him, earn our acceptance, our salvation, our righteousness, all our attempts to be accepted by our own performance or good works. He says that's design theft. It's us counterfeiting something God only can create, something that God takes no delight in when he looks at what we do. When he is offering us free his trademark version of his righteousness credited to our account. See, so this is what the gospel is. It is that in this good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, God in his mercy provides for us what we can never produce in us on our own. Do you see the very righteousness God requires of us the righteousness that we are not capable of producing, he actually gives to us as a gift when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But we have to accept that. We have to give up on counterfeiting. I want you to see something Paul says uh, farther on in Romans, Romans chapter 10, and he's speaking here to his fellow Jews who are at this time choosing law uh, over Jesus. In verses three and four, he says, for being ignorant of this righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law 
for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul is saying you can live one of two ways. Either you try in your own effort to gain right standing with God by doing your best to obey God's law or you let Christ be the end of that for you. You trust in what Christ has done, what Christ has earned. You believe that God gives you his righteousness when you are in Christ. And you know what? You have to shred your resume. You have to give it up. And not only shred your resume, you have to repent of your resume. You have to say, I repent of all my good works because I was trusting in those works to make, make, it, make me right with God. And some of us maybe today need to ask ourselves, are we ready to submit to the righteousness of God? Are you ready to give up trying to earn God's favor on your own? If you haven't heard me say it yet, if it hasn't clicked yet, I just want to say it again. It won't work. It never worked. It hasn't ever worked. It never will work. You need to give it up. You need to stop. Because there's only one way. And that's Jesus. See, Martin Luther finally submitted to the righteousness of God. He finally got it. And when he meditated on verse 17 and and finally understood that God's righteousness was primarily not his justice by which he judges and punishes sinners, but this gift, this gift that he graciously gives to sinners who trust in Jesus, it changed everything for him. Listen to what he said. He said it like this. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and it entered paradise itself through open gates. He read Romans 1.17 and said, this brought me into paradise. He'd been trusting, you see, for years in his own goodness, his own efforts to try to gain God's love and acceptance. But it had only led to doubt. It had only led to fear. It had only led to despair. And finally, it led to hatred of God. But see, God opened his spiritual eyes and he saw the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that God's righteousness was a a gift that he gave. And when he saw it, he put his hope in Jesus. Everything changed. And for Luther, this God who had been this tyrant, this demanding, judging, condemning God, he was now seen as a good and generous and gracious God whom he could genuinely love instead of secretly hate. Everything changed. And that's the third thing I want to share with you as we close. God's righteousness, it changes everything. It changes everything. Here's some news you can use today, okay? Are you ready? You can use it today. You can use it tomorrow. You can actually use it forever. The gospel is the only thing that can cause you to genuinely love God and be at peace with him. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been brought into this relationship with God. We're at peace with God. Everything's changed now. We, we love this God. We live our life secure with this God, knowing that his heart has forever been directed toward us in favor and delight because of Jesus you never thought about this before, you maybe need to write it down. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. You will never feel confident in a relationship with someone when you do not know how they feel about you, right? 
Everybody say amen if you believe that. It's just the truth. See, if you're trying to establish your own righteousness and trying to earn God's acceptance, you will always struggle with insecurity in God, before God because you'll never know how he feels about you. You're always gonna be wondering, how am I doing today? Am I doing good? Am I doing bad? You know, what does he think of me today? He loves me, he loves me not. You're gonna play that game all the time, up and down all the time. It's a miserable way to live, isn't it? See, you can't enjoy a love you earn because it's always mingled with the fear that you might lose it. But when you trust that God has given you his righteousness, you don't have to earn it. You can just enjoy it. You can just experience the confidence that, that it comes from knowing you have it. That leads to intimacy because you're secure. And I am convinced that so many people who name the name of Christ, they live insecure lives before God because they don't really believe deep down that God loves them and accepts them as they are in Jesus. They don't really believe that he's forgiven them, really. They don't really believe that they live every moment secure in his friendship and acceptance and love. And I just described some of you. You just see your life like you're on trial all the time before God. See, people here, they'll they'll view God as distant or indifferent. Like, God's not really paying attention um, to my life, except when I make mistakes. That's how they feel, or except when I fail. Like, God's waiting to catch you doing something wrong, that, that God has favorites, and you're not one of them. People like this just live incredibly insecure lives before God. They live in fear and anxiety and dread because they don't really believe that God is their father and that he is for them and he's not against them. They don't really see that through faith in Jesus, they have a God who has settled his heart's posture toward them forever. They don't really believe that they have a God who always knows their deepest needs and that he is filled with such kindness toward them. They just don't believe that about God and and so they don't really enjoy God. I mean, how could they don't have this joyful relationship with him? They don't get up every morning knowing that God is, is with them and for them. They don't go to sleep every night confident that God holds their future in his hands and that his hands are strong and gentle and kind. They just don't believe it. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy, but if you really embrace this gospel, if you really take hold of this opportunity to have this intimate relationship with God, it destroys every insecurity you have. I wanna take you to see this, uh, take you back to Romans 1 uh, once again. Go back to verse 17. When Paul quotes Habakkuk, he, he, he says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And if you have a Bible with notes, you might have uh, a note at the bottom that, that it says something like it can be translated also, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And, and it's kind of a matter of emphasis. I alluded to this earlier. The actual order in the Greek text, just real literally, is the one who is righteous by faith that person lives. In other words, the one, the person who is righteous before God solely on the basis of faith, that person is the one who really, truly lives. They live eternally and they live today truly 
faith leads to real life. And this is just one of the driving emphases of this text, that the person who lives by faith is the person who truly lives. And and do you see why? I mean, what a life. When you get up every morning and you know I'm not on trial today. When you get up every morning and you just feel God's love and acceptance for you, just know it's there. That's being fully alive. And when people are like this, they're just compelled to pray because they know God's listening. They know God accepts them, that God wants to hear their prayers and wants to answer their prayers. And they open the word of God and they really believe that God wants to speak to them in the word of God because he's fully accept them. He's fully embraced them and he's, he's wanting to speak with them and they will attempt great things for God and they will pray big prayers for God because they know God is with them and his presence is there to bless them and help them and strengthen them and give them success. And they're gonna see greater experiences of God in their marriage and in their family and in their church because they know that God loves and accepts them. See, and when these people who have truly embraced this gospel suffer, they are not shaken because they still know, they're confident that God is for them and has a beautiful vision for their life that somehow even this painful suffering is gonna contribute to the people who are righteous by faith. Do you see it? They are the ones who truly live. And that's what God offers you in the gospel. That's what God wants for you in the gospel. He wants you to know real life. And I just want to say this to you. I want you to hear it. This is not like legal fiction. This is not make-believe. This is not mind games or word games. This is a matter of our real and true condition before God. And when you believe it, it shapes everything about your life. It changes you. And that's why I want to say to you today, and what we're going to continue saying throughout this series, we have to get into the heart of the gospel and get the gospel into our hearts. So I wanna ask you today, do you believe this? Like really believe this? Not just, yeah, I believe it because you're in church and you're supposed to say I believe it. Do you really believe that if you are in Christ today, at your best and at your worst, that God gladly receives you and embraces you and that you are forever, eternally, perfectly, securely, totally and completely acceptable and accepted by him solely on the basis of faith? I'm gonna give you one last ramification of this. You can write this down if, if you wanna think about it as well. God declares us righteous without compromising his righteousness. Maybe you've wondered about this before. See, for God to accept sinners and declare them righteous while, while letting their sins go unpunished sounds like a compromise of his justice, right? Like, sounds like, let's just sweep this under the rug, all this sin. And so the question that gets raised is, how can the gospel reveal God's righteousness, that he really is righteous, that he never does anything that's not good and right and, and true? I mean, how can that be if he's letting sinners off the hook and giving them? the gift of righteousness, and not punishing their sins. You see, if there's a dilemma in the Bible, that's it. And Romans is gonna answer it. How can God reveal that he is righteous when he 
freely gives out this gift of righteousness to unrighteous sinners who deserve to be condemned. How is that righteous? How can he pardon sinners and show his mercy and punish sin and still uphold his righteousness and his justice? And the answer is, he does it by giving his son Jesus, who pays for our sins in his own body. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place. He is condemned for our sins. We are declared righteous because of his righteousness. In other words, the sins don't get swept under the rug. They get nailed to the cross. And sin gets condemned there in Jesus. You've heard other preachers, you've heard me say this a thousand times, probably at the cross, God treated Jesus like he lived my life, all my, life, my sin placed on him, so God could treat me like I lived Jesus' life, his righteousness given to me. So with the same favor and affection that the eternal father looks on his eternal son, he now can look on me, and that is how God can be righteous the justifier of the ungodly. He saves us in a way that upholds his righteousness and brings him the greatest glory and that moves us to worship. See, we're not entitled to his righteousness. He gives it freely at cost to himself. It was undeserved. It was paid for by Jesus. And so that is how God gives us a righteous standing without compromising his righteousness. And so, what Paul says numerous times in Romans, he's saying it in this quote from Habakkuk, he's gonna say it again and again and again, is that this has always been the gospel. The Old Testament has been telling us this from time, time and time and time again. In fact, we turn back to the opening pages of the Bible and you, you, you can't even get out of Genesis three without seeing this. Remember that story? What happens in Genesis 3? Well, Adam and Eve sin against God. And when they sin, they realize they're naked. And the text there says they are full of shame. Do you remember what they try to do? Do you remember what their game plan was? <laughs> Counterfeiting. Counterfeiting. They take fig leaves and they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves before this God who, who walks in the garden. You ever... You ever thought about what happens when you pull fig leaves or any kind of leaf, you know, off of the vine or off of the tree? Like they wither, right? That's an inadequate covering. It's not gonna cover, not for very long. And I also imagine it was quite uncomfortable. So here they are, they're, they're counterfeiting a covering for themselves to cover up their sin and nakedness before a holy God. And what does God do? Well, God takes an innocent animal who dies in their place. He takes the animal's hide. He makes them clothing to cover their nakedness. The gospel, right there, Genesis 3. We are sinners, full of shame, 
naked before the Lord and the, the natural mode of the human heart, our reflex, we just do it, is to sow our own fig leaves and cover up our own sin and our shame and our nakedness. And God's answer to all this is, I will send a perfect, innocent substitute who will die in your place and I will take his perfect righteousness and I will clothe you in it so that you can stand before me accepted, fully and forever loved, declared righteous in my eyes. And that's the gospel. And we should never grow tired of preaching it, saying it, singing it, and all through, all through this beautiful book of Romans. We are going to hear it over and over and over again, and I hope you're so excited for that. I hope you're looking forward to that. Because I believe the more we do like Martin Luther did, the more we bang our head against it and think hard about it, uh, like Luther, the more, the more is going to change us. And this is God's word for us today, Southwinds. All God's people say, amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray? As your heads are, are bowed, as you are praying, I want to just remind you the gospel when you see it, makes you see God and see yourself and see other people through this radically different lens. And if you are here today and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, I hope that you see this is what you are missing. And my guess is that you know it, you, you sense it. And there's probably something strangely attractive and frightening about what you've been hearing today. It's attractive because you know it would change everything, but it's frightening because you know it will change everything. And there may be right now a voice telling you it won't work, it isn't this good, it can't be, it couldn't be. I wanna tell you, that's, that's the voice of your enemy, so don't listen. I wanna tell you God is good and he is holy and righteous, yes, But in his holy righteousness, he demonstrates his love and his goodness by giving his son to take away our sins. And we can never earn this. We must only receive it. It is a gift. And so if you've never done it before, will you repent and believe and receive this gift today? Father God, what wisdom is yours that you in your goodness and in your kindness, in your, your holiness, and in your love that you would make a way for us to be made right with you, to be able to stand secure and confidence in your presence. Lord, we thank you for this gospel. And we ask you that when we're at our best, you would help us to cling to it. And when we are at our worst, you would help us to cling to it. It's good news. And we love the gospel and we share the gospel and we're not ashamed of the gospel. Thank you for the gospel, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And again, all God's people say.